Hello everyone, welcome to WeGCast. This is episode 17 and the last episode of 2020, which has eternally been more than a decade. This week, or month, or year, we have Mr. Corner Pirate, also known as Paul Ritchie. Paul, who are you and what do you do? Uh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> so you just go into it straight like that? That's how you do it, man? Wow. Um, apparently so, apparently so. <laughs> so who am I? Well, you've, you, my introduction is obviously, you said my name's Paul Ritchie, and that my online handle handle is, uh, is Corner Pirate. I'm pretty easy to find. You'll find me wherever uh, good content can be made and distributed by weasels effectively so yeah that's that, that's that's me i think that answers your question it does yeah I, I didn't mean to run straight into the podcast i meant to record for a little bit but just sort of went fuck it it'll be fine so we're doing this bulldozer andy gill yeah uh, paul thanks for coming on because uh we've been trying to i think get us into the works for like a good since probably like episode one uh, i think andy would probably agree um, yeah. and we finally finally cornered you uh we've cornered the pirate uh and got uh, on the podcast uh but uh how's your lockdown been let's have a more casual chat and then we'll go into 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 the show notes my, the my, show. <laughs> my lockdown has been absolutely tremendous um uh, like everyone's <laughs> i i mean to be honest, I, I've been putting it like this. Most pen testers, this is this is just their lives, not going out, um, yeah. uh, not you know shopping online, all that kind of stuff. So if anything, we're basic uh, Olympians at the sport of staying at home <laughs> and working remotely and all that kind of stuff. If anything, the happiness of the pen testing industry is probably shot up because they're not travelling to site. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, so all the the overheads and things like that. <laughs> to be honest, there's there must have been so many pen testers picked up uh, language, picked up some some uh, musical instrument, picked up their paint brushes or whatever, because mm. they can't get their, you can't get your hobby on when you're traveling. Yeah. Um, so I saved hours and stuff. Like, because <laughs> uh, I've definitely got that. Uh, I have just uh, got my electric drum kit back in my flat, so I get to. Whenever I'm kind of doing some stuff, I mean, I've done a lot of studying. I've got an exam on Thursday, and I've been really kind of struggling sometimes with just kind of relentlessly doing that. So, see, occasionally being able to just turn around and play drums for thirty minutes uh, during your shift hour, or well, fifteen minutes. But I hope my boss isn't listening. Uh, but yeah, it's being able Carrie. to do that, like, it's been Carrie, great. he's wasting his time. <laughs> <laughs> 15 it's only 15 but yeah honestly it's so helpful having like been in the house that's my first experience of work from home so uh it's been awesome being able to have that kind of diversity of being able to do a lot of stuff you wouldn't normally throughout your work day yeah, I'm, I'm gonna say that the genie is not going in the back back of the bottle there is absolutely no way people are going back to five days a week in the office mm. at the end of this because it's better for the environment it's better for their mental health um uh, in the long run that genie is not going back in the bottle so I'm glad that the the wider industry, obviously, apart from the absolute legends that have to be where they've got to work, because you can't, you know, you can't serve people at a checkout if you're not there. Um, yeah, true that. Although I did actually see a little video of of um, uh, a place in Japan that was using telepresence robots, and uh, they were having <laughs> genius genius this. So like, obviously, there's there's uh, some people that are uh, so disabled that they're bedridden and they can't get about, and it's really hard for them to take part of society beautiful little video of using telepresence robots to literally serve people in a restaurant yeah from their bed so obviously they're they're taking orders and stuff and i'm going that's 
That's pretty that's, cool. That's kind of nice and beautiful. Um, yeah, and it's yeah. awake. Like, uh, that, yeah, it's just, uh, I think it's yeah, the hidden victims of this shit, uh, to be honest. Like, I mean, you, you definitely can't, I mean, legally, you definitely can't operate on people from home. It's certainly one of the jobs <laughs> that you can't really work from home. Yet, yeah. yet, Andy. Right. We can't, we can't even record a podcast without latency. I don't want a surgeon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that could go Oopsie. awfully wrong. Awfully wrong. Yeah, I know, yeah. certainly. Uh, but no, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I've very much enjoyed the work from home experience and I'm hoping to some degree it kind of continues. Although I will say me and my colleague were having a chat today about how much we actually missed a lot of the, uh, the, the benefits of being in the office as well. So it's not like it's hmm. entirely good, uh, even, even just from a camaraderie standpoint. Like... Uh, you're only in between you're like, yeah well like you see each other all day in an office whereas yeah you're only seeing each other in between teams calls throughout the day so. I, the, the thing with offices i don't know if paul shares this but certainly when we used to work together in the office i'd get less work done than i would when i was working from home because no. you socialize much more with people yeah. and while it's good to socialize equally focusing sitting in my office in my pants is much more comfortable and mm. productive than so- you don't give them the secrets. Don't tell them that we're absolutely um, doing our job in our underwear. I mean, it's very unprofessional. <laughs> that's, why you, that's why you wear a shirt from the waist up. So when you have the clients <laughs> that demand you to have your camera on, you can put the standing desk on, shirt on, look professional. It's part party. No, shit. Business up top, party down below. <laughs> okay. Oh and my I mean, God. Why will we end that out? <laughs> we've all got our webcams on right now. I really hope no one yeah. rings your doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't even say that. Scarred already. Scarred already. Um, yeah, so I guess now that we've kind of eased your way into it, like, and we've kind of talked a bit about what, you know, the fact that you do work from home, what do you do, Paul? Like, well, how would you describe yourself? Uh, at this point in my career, I say that I've failed upwards um, <laughs> in, in the management. Um, and I, I choose that phrase wisely because I think that the job of um, being a penetration tester is is um, pretty fantastic. It's, it's, it's there you are at the, at the, the buffet of life. Um, you've got all <laughs> technologies to play with. They're all, they're all things that you can take up for one week because a client needs it. And you go and you go and learn how how that is secured, and you, you deliver something valuable for a customer. So I found that job really appealing because I'm I'm quite into helping people, and ultimately that's what pen testing is as a service. Yeah, that's true. Providing tickets, getting things closed down, um, improving things. So you hopefully you've 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 left it all on the field, and the customer can help. Um, mm-hmm. I can be helped by that process, and so that's that's kind of what I'd like to be doing um, with my life and then as sort of as an extension of that um, failing upwards means stepping away from doing that every single day um, to help um, the people within your organization more broadly so mm-hmm. effectively that is um, doing nice little things like helping Andy Gill get a job um, in industry what a, what a great story that is as well. <laughs> <laughs> so just just get get Andy a job um, uh, and then, like you know, help help people start their careers. I like that sort of aspect of it. It's it's been a little bit of a a depressed part of my career for the last couple of years. I haven't started a career really for a couple of years, but I do enjoy it. Um, so that's kind of why I failed upwards into management because ultimately here we are, three um, three white Scottish dudes on a podcast because diversity is fantastic. Um, <laughs> sorry, people. We need to we need to get we need to work on that one. Um, but 
to get a job, I ended up moving to England for a bit because there was literally no jobs in in Scotland in the industry. We're in a much better place now for for that than we were. But by the time I'd moved back up from England, I was a sort of senior pen tester. And I was like, no, nuts to this. I want to have uh, an office in Glasgow. I want to stop the brain drain um, mm-hmm. going out to other countries to, to help their industry. I'd rather we had some in Scotland. So there we go. We started started a team in Scotland, etc. Mm-hmm. And and went for it. Um, and, and that's where I failed upwards into management. Technically, I got the job of manager of a pen test team like, like uh, effectively the same day I became a father. It was a busy day. I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> it was a busy day. And to yeah. be honest, I now have several grey hairs in my beard. <laughs> and several, and some of these are Andy's. Um, through the, I know that I've listened to a podcast. A lot of these are Andy's um, uh, grey hairs. Some For of them are my swear kids. Every Andy does a new grey hair just forms they're, in the beard. They're just, <laughs> no, I, I tell you what they are. They're just the growing pains of teaching Andy how to use burp and how to use like <laughs> testing tooling. Like, back they took in, a toll. Took a toll. Well, definitely. Back when I was learning, Paul would sit on Skype for seven, eight hours a day and go through pen testing and essentially t- taught me, I wouldn't say everything that I know, but quite a large proportion of the fundamentals. I knew a lot when I started out, but yeah, being able to work from home and having that support remotely is... <laughs> we, we were the OG lockdown back in oh, 20... Say, why, why, why were we working from home though, Andy? Because Edinburgh's a shithole. <laughs> and true Ouija cast form. Uh, uh, I'm going to say that's not necessarily true. It's not true. It's like it's not true at all. But... However, <laughs> the, however there, is a, there is something to be said for the fact that I was never going to commute from... Uh, Glasgow to Edinburgh every day. I've done um, it for to, like to do three this. months. Oh. Because there's there's some great things about commuting. When I used to do an awful lot of travelling for the for the job, um, I would read books. Um, I was probably never more knowledgeable than than I was at that point where I was travelling or or on the plane all the time. You'd be reading so many books. I haven't been able to read at all since since uh, since I had kids. Yeah. Um, I'm getting back into it this year via Audible because I've I've found like I can listen to half an hour chunks. Yeah. But I certainly wasn't going to go and voluntarily commute from Glasgow to Edinburgh every single day um, for the rest of my life. But the company where I hired uh, Andy uh, had an office in Glasgow. And they were like, they were like, yeah, yeah, we've got an office in Glasgow. On you go. And I was like, awesome, great. So I hired Andy, and then I went to go try and try and we went to go and try and use this office in Glasgow. And it was really massive and impressive. It was genuinely an aircraft hangar size office yeah. um, in the east end of Glasgow. Sat on on like one of those massive fiber nodes. So the internet connection's fantastic. We turn up, we go to the reception, and they're like, who are you? And I'm like, well, we've kind of emailed ahead but like here's who we are it felt like we were social engineering our way in they they kind of go all right yeah they let us in they take us through a couple of secured doors and then there's a an like i said aircraft hangar sized office there's hundreds of desks nobody's at it nobody's in there right in the far back left corner there are two guys um uh in this office and like one of them's wearing like blue and one of them's wearing like red and they're like it support for like the um, one half of the business and for the other half of the business and we were just like right so how do we get an internet connection in here and they were like uh 
<laughs> so we just Not we just kind of we just kind of sat there for the morning in this in this thing, and we're like, well, we can do absolutely hee haw with you in here. So let's go home. You go to your home. I'll go to my home, and we'll Skype it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that was us. Our foray our foray into the into the Glasgow office. Um, just <laughs> I mean, it, it to was, be literally told by our by the people that were there, like we we have no way to give you an internet connection. <laughs> the, yeah, two, crazy. the two times we were in that office, the first time was working from the Glasgow office, and the second time was when we were leaving that company. And I still remember leaving that company as one of the most hilarious times. I don't know if you remember it. We rocked up at the office with our laptops, as you do, and our phones. Nobody had told us in advance that, like, an ex-interview or handing devices back. But they were like, oh, just hand it back to the, the, the closest office. So Paul and I rock up to the Glasgow office and we're like, right, here's our laptop and here's our phone. And the first thing the woman says is, have you got a box for those? We're like, well, uh, no, we weren't given a box for these laptops. So we get in and eventually give give our laptops back to these two guys that are still there. Obviously, they've been home in between, but they're far far left of the the massive floor. And we give them back, and then it kind of uh, give give them the laptop, and they're like, "Well, that's great." And like, what do we do with these phones? Like, we don't know. Like, we don't use. We don't have work phones. We just have desk phones. So I was uh, almost almost got to take away a, an HTC M8, I think it was, or it might be an M7, free free phone. But yeah, that was fun and games. And that Love was you. that, and then that we followed that. followed our journey onto the next company because can't can't leave a company without each other. It seems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's quite common, um, though, wasn't it? Like from everyone we've spoke to, like a whole bunch of them, I think, have worked together. Like, and like one thing I noticed, and it comes up pretty much every podcast, but like at SteelCon, the amount of people that you knew that you worked with, and other people are like, oh, I've not seen you in ages, Ben. Like, remember, like, and they talked about how they used to work together. Like, it's don't, obviously don't, a very small world. Don't doubt that Andy's a social hand grenade. Um, <laughs> like, yes, he's act. He's actually the industry's bee. He's the pollinator. He flies around <laughs> between all the beautiful flowers, <laughs> and he spreads <laughs> spreads hacks to all. Like <laughs> pretty much. So I mean, that's 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 us. But yeah, I just didn't. I I want to you know. Um, talk, going back to the failing upwards, I just uh-huh. I didn't really necessarily want to be a manager. I just wanted an office in in Glasgow, <laughs> and and I went around trying to find someone that would willingly open one or had one, and there was pretty much none, and uh, and then um, we we found someone that was willing to do it in Pentest Limited, and so we we had a go at that, and that was that was great. Um, uh, I'm kind of glad at the moment we were between offices when lockdown happened because I'm not incurring the cost of rent. <laughs> Oh, I'll be absolutely honest that was beautifully timed <laughs> well that's the thing I suppose right so if you've got like companies that are renting out like your kind of classic office kind of you know they're paying for it month by month or whatever like um and then but if it's only getting used maybe like two days out of the week if you're doing like a flexible three days at home mm. two days in like uh, that must be a bit of a tough pill to swallow from a management standpoint for like the cost. Like I'm guessing yeah. there's going to be a different arrangements, like more flexible offices or. I stuff mean, like so that. because because Pentest Limited as a as a whole is completely remote based. Like they mm. do have a head office, etc. But like, um, we're we're completely remote based in terms of our testing capacity. So really, the the regional offices are there for the social aspect of it. Yeah. Um. So we would never be in five days a week. Um. Uh, you'd be you'd be in two days a week, and then it would just transpire that everyone would would kind of pop in on the same day, or at least, you know, as as the manager of a team, I essentially said I will be in on on this day and this day of the week, 
And if you wanna if you want any FaceTime then, you know, or like, you know, private conversations, you come in on one of these two days. Mm-hmm. Other than that, we'll we'll be on, on you know, there's no there's no obligation, but it just turned out that most people would, would rock in for either one or the other. It depends on how busy you were, because as Andy said earlier, um you don't get as much work done when you're in the office because yeah. yeah. you would go you would go in and I remember days where we would just be like, Well, we're having lunch here. But let's let's rip apart this old radio of mine because it's got a, it's got it, it's 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 not behaving too great. Let's rip this thing apart because the, the the golden prize in there is I'm not gonna st- I'm not gonna stick this in the dump because somewhere embedded in here because of the way it's died is my Wi-Fi um, uh, WPA like or P- sorry PSK. Uh, so I'm going right. Um, if you can rip that off, if you can rip that off that that there's a beer. Um, it turns out. We we couldn't quite, but we managed to thoroughly break it. It was not going back together. Um, uh, so there was there's there was some joy in that office, you know. Um, but yeah, like I'm saying, at the moment, for in terms of business, kind of glad we were between um, uh, commitments. Uh, we'd fallen into the habit of just like doing um, a couple of touch points um, in a in a in a thing that we weren't uh, committed to financially. So it was like a. Um, a co-working space effectively because um, yeah. that's kind of what you need it's a kind of a yeah. hard sell to the business to go we need a full dedicated office when you don't actually have any IT kit that you need to keep there or or you know, apartment it, valley. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's going to be really common now as well 100% it'll yeah, be an interesting I'd li- change I, I'd like to see all these co-working spaces going out to the suburbs um, and there's so many people in, in my little neighborhood here that are all working from home now and they're not going to go back to it. So what you want is someone to come along and nail that space and give you a coffee shop and, a, and effectively like a, a, a hot desk in situation um, out in the bits where people actually live. And yeah. I think that's a much better reality and I want to be there. <laughs> yeah, 100%. That's a, I'd not even thought about that. Uh, try to get people out of the cities and to more kind of, yeah. I mean, that's how you stimulate an economy, right? <laughs> Is get people out into where people are living. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that sounds wicked. Um, so we normally kind of, uh, at least for a little bit, uh, the beginning of a podcast, we'll kind of go through kind of like early days to get a picture of kind of how it all started for you, Paul. Uh, so how... Do you want to give us a wee lowdown on your first experience of tinkering with computers? Ever since we've already talked about you breaking radios. Radios, yeah. yeah but <laughs> I, I was much older. Um, so, you, you know, because just to, to, to remove some of the magic and myth here for the, for the listeners... They gave me the questions in advance, so <laughs> no. so. <laughs> you so, the secret sauce. Like. There you, well, there you, you go. say that we never have the questions on time. There's been two episodes where we've been trying to find the questions mid mid episode. So this is yeah. true. <laughs> this is very true. Yeah, I mean that says that says more about you. But anyway, so the question was, <laughs> what is your first memory of tinkering with computers? Um, and I'm going to say um, that that my you know I read this off the screen. Uh, my my big brother. <laughs> Was was the one who was really into computers. My big brother, yeah, uh, the absolute legend that is what a legend. Um, he is a legend. He he was really driven and again into computers, and I can remember us having an Amstrad in the house. Now, an Amstrad is a beast of a computer um, that came with its own CRT monitor, and that is uh, a cathode ray tube piece of technology for the kids at home if you want to play old man bingo. 
Um, uh, that that CRT was capable of only neon green colouring on a grey background, oh. right? Oh, it's beautiful. Green screen, green screen. I blame that screen for why I went bald at 15. Um, <laughs> what, like from radiation? Or it had to, you know, it was neon green, mate. It had to be radiation. Um, so if you're asking me about my first memory of tinkering with computers, it's probably playing games on my, my big brother's Amstrad, right? You know, it was very much like that, living in his shadow. I was never bought my own computer until many, many, many moons later, but I could I, I could I could get allocated tiny time, the annoying little brother on the same piece of kit, um, effectively. Um so my memory of tinkering with it is probably coding on that Amstrad and, you know, slowly going bald in the in, in the wee hours with the radioactive haze. Um, of I think you know. I think because you gave me this question in advance, I googled it. I know it. It's it was it was uh, basic was the programming language on that, and I I can kind of remembering the go to statement. So that classic ten print high twenty go to ten infinite loop of print and high, um, that go to statement makes purely beautiful scalable code, and we absolutely love it. <laughs> um, but like okay, so. Um, you might remember back when magazines were a thing, you know, before nobody needed magazines and you could use the internet for everything <laughs> and, and, and essentially print media became irrelevant. But yep. back when back when you could get like a PC zone, what a magazine that was, back in the day with, with Charlie Brooker writing the back page of, of PC Zone, tremendous. Um, but back then you would get like a, a, a PC magazine that would come with a, a CD-ROM or a disc and you'd have some demos on it and you could play the demos. But rewind back to when I was tiny, when it was the Amstrad days, they would send you could get a magazine and it would have source code in it for the games. So yeah, you can play the games, but you've got to type them in first yourself, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that was it. So uh, my brother would get those magazines. He had to sit there and type them in. I mean, they could have sent you a cassette tape, and I think later on you kind of got them on cassette tape. But you know, I remember vividly sitting there trying to type in a language. I didn't understand what I was typing, but I was just trying to do it verbatim from this magazine. Um, and so yeah, you'd you'd sit there on a on a on a Saturday and you'd type in ten thousand lines of basic perfectly or not, hit compile, Jesus. find all the typos that you'd made, and then try and fix it without access to I don't know the internet uh, or a reference manual. You just literally were going on it visually, and um, you've not known true pain until you've put ten thousand lines to get some sort of clone of Tetris, and it doesn't work. And then a month later, the magazine comes in with a, a sorry, there was a typo online. <laughs> Something. No oh fucking hell! They would. Li- oh, they wouldn't. The that it literally would happen. So that's that's it. My first memory of tinkering with computers is trying to make stupid little games on an Amstrad with a green screen that is responsible for my bald, shiny head. It, is is that an answer you were looking for? hundred yeah. percent. I'm just trying There's to imagine. A... Like, sorry, go. I was just going to say, I'm just trying to imagine what happens like Christmas 2020, like you sit down like, hey little Billy, we're going to just, today we're going to code Cyberpunk 2077, there's about 5 million lines of code, like, let's get started. To be fair, I don't think it would look worse than the PS4 port, so. <laughs> doesn't sound like it, from what I've heard. Savage! <laughs> Sa- savage contextualise jokes, it's great. <laughs> No, a follow-on from that was, what was your, like, so your first memory is using the Amstrad, but how did you go from that to going, I'm going to hack things? Like, what, what, what made you make that leap? Or was there a natural progression? 
there there was many years where I did no hacking. So I'm not I'm not your the people that you've had on this podcast before that stand strong on decades of mucking around and taking things apart. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like I was I was going down the route where I thought I was going to be a a programmer or a developer. Um, so I went went to university or whatever and learned learned software engineering. Um, and then eventually. Like and it's got a lot better in university since since the early two thousands. That now every comp sci degree has some security in it, at least as a minimum, and it's up it's upped its game massively. But I, I went through a whole BSc in software engineering and didn't hear the word security once back oh, in yeah. the year two thousand. Mm-hmm. And they yep. taught me Java too, which 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 is <laughs> I I I the love Java. Really, like I'm security. Oh though. no. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Java's excellent. Um, you, <laughs> you write no it, one ever. <laughs> I just did. You can quote me on this. You write that. You write that once, and it runs anywhere, including a mobile phone from the from the late nineties. Um, it's it's immense. But I mean, to be honest, like it, it was the it was it was an improvement because the year before my, I started my degree um, at the Aberdeen University, um, they were teaching Pascal. Um, so they, you know, it was technically modernizing it. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. So like, I got through my degree, no mention of security, and then I couldn't get a job on account of the fact that um, the dot com bubble had just burst, and I was going for graduate jobs um, up in Aberdeen, and I couldn't get, the, I couldn't really get a job because there was people that would have two years actual industry experience that have just been fired that are coming all mm. the way up from Edinburgh wow. to apply for jobs willing yeah. to move <laughs> and they're going um, i'll take that graduate wage and um and i'll and i'll and i'll um work for uh, and i'll literally relocate myself up here so yeah i went for a couple of interviews that summer um and they were like they, 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 every single like i remember four of them went um we really liked you um you're great but we're gonna go with these guys over here <laughs> who had more experience and i'm going it's a graduate job like yeah. oh, nobody so should be having nobody should be having experience, but like yeah, I remember like um I I just had a, had a had a night down the pub with um a friend of mine Joe and he was going for this MSc that um that uh that the university was putting on called e-commerce computing and it was a wonderful little course that in it had um uh, a module on security where I think it was just straight up here's XSS and SQL injection. And like I was just hooked. So if you're yeah. looking for that moment where I got into security, it was genuinely this one joke of a module with a with a with an accelerated MSc, which meant that we did it all in about two weeks, and it, it covered a bit a bit on encryption, a bit on like you know, and it, I found that fascinating because it was a nice little part of the MSc because you were building out a, a full enterprise application solution throughout the year. And you were bolting bits onto it, and then this module comes along and goes security. Now prove that it's secure, and I found it fascinating because you were you you were you were encouraged to be going around everyone else's app that they'd built looking for vulnerabilities. So it was like uh, pen testing review. stuff, yeah, yeah peer review, yeah. pen testing stuff, and I'm like, yeah, this is this is this is great. Like the second that you get that first little pop pop for your XSS, you get the pop pop, and you go, I like the pop pop. 
Why can't I feel like why can't I feel like this all the time? <laughs> I've been there. I've had the moment. I've had the moment. Like I think it's for me that was probably very similar. It was cross-site scripting when you kind of realise and what that means. Like um, so I think the same with SQL injection when you kind of go, oh, that's the damage that can come from that, and you've done it with a very very simple statement. Like and then the more you learn, the more you realise that that's really quite common like and mm. that's that's the part where i think i get the fear but that's also the part that i think i also went that interests me the most like i think hackens for me 100 percent. yeah pop pop it's a gateway pop, drug pop. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the point it's the point where the penny drops and then the drug addiction starts the drug addiction being the the pop pop not not heroin because uh yeah and, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i picked heroin but hey uh no i yeah, when you have your first XSS, your first SQL injection, or even your first remote code execution, you just it just clicks. And taking it out of a lab environment and applying it to the day job is incredibly... I don't know, I've, I've experienced it so many times now, but it's so euphoric. I was looking for the word there. I was trying to, yeah. trying to buy time to find the word. But yeah, it's euphoric Pop when you're... cherry. Maybe not quite popping your cherry, but... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I still dance. you got to do it. You do. <laughs> and Paul, what is the common theme tune of, of hacks anytime Burp Suite needs to be opened? Well, I mean, as as you can find on my on my blog, www.cornerpirate.com, you you can crashing that crashing that car in your in your stream there. If you if you look it up, you can find uh, a burp extender. There are several on that blog, um, but the most useful one is the one that will open a YouTube tab in your system default browser and play a two-hour loop of Darude Sandstorm. Uh, oh God. <laughs> think think back. I think the extender's called Shellstorm. Uh, it's purely uh, yes. because I was I was trying to educate a youngling here. In whatever year I started with Andy, I was trying to educate him. I'm like, I bet he's into Sandstorm or some some crap like that. So <laughs> it was just a joke that that's clearly what he's listening to on his headphones. Um, and uh, now it's a case of you can't go looking for a shell until you've got Sandstorm. Layered in the background. A, it's a bit of a belter. <laughs> indeed. A timeless classic. Andy, what was the. Do you remember the first time you managed to pop a shell? The first time I popped a shell. I do actually. I mean, outside of doing, of the story. outside of doing labs, the first time I popped the shell was actually yeah. on job with Paul, and I can't speak of the client, but uh, big, big client, and we found this hilarious utility in a folder called Utilities, and then there was a, a, a web page that you could literally enter commands into, and it would run them. It was a straight up shell. I think you probably remember that job, Paul. We were on it with one of our colleagues based out in South America, or he was based out in South America. And we were just owning the shit out of this app. It was quite funny. I gotta say, it's it doesn't ring a bell, and it's never funny when you have to help a customer <laughs> out of a situation like that. It, there's a moment where you go, "Oh, I've got a shell," but then you go, "Oh, I, I, oh yeah, need to." Oh, <laughs> oh shit! Well, who, who else is that? I suppose is the question, isn't it? Yeah. Like, if, it, if, it, if, yeah. if it's at that level, I'm gonna I start to go with the "Oh, we need to figure out whether that's already been had." Oh, yeah. Basically, and I don't like getting into incident response um, because that's that's a, that's, a, that's a bridge too far. Um, yeah. But yeah, so those ones do come up where you gotta you gotta you gotta tell the customer about it immediately. Yeah. yeah. Super serious. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Because to you, it's just kind of like, oh, I've seen this in a lab like a million times. And to them, it's like, oh, 
they've probably been fully compromised. Like, it's a very, very different side of the scale there from a, how serious a standpoint that is, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. It's, yep. I mean, it's terrifying as well. The, the big one that I find quite a lot is people putting either code snippets on GitHub that have got credentials in them or straight up putting credentials on GitHub. I had that recently in an engagement where I was doing OSINT against a client and I found an IP address, uh, username <laughs> and a password and a 2FA registration link, which hadn't been used. And I was really confused by this. So I called up the client and I said, right, I found this. Can you explain to what it is? He went, well, that's uh, that's nothing important. That's just a production database login. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> right? He was like, it should have 2FA enabled. I went, I mean, it does, but the 2FA registration link's there. Can I register my device and see if it works? He went, yeah, go for it. Why not? So I registered it and logged straight into the production database. And I was like, well... <laughs> Oh, this, is, <laughs> this is a little bit bad. And we looked at the commit history and it'd been up there for six years. But nobody yeah. had registered the 2FA. They'd only flipped on 2FA at the start of this year. So the chances are it had already been compromised for a while. Or they'd just been incredibly lucky. So it happens. Yeah. I mean, it does happen. I, I was asked recently to do a project um, and and their their concern was that their app... They, they had like, you know, They had a... They had a technology that they'd patented themselves as a parent business, and then they were trying to show it off, so they employed some people to make like a, a an Android and an iOS app that used the technology. And mm-hmm. after like a couple of years of that, like six or seven years of it being in development out-house, they decided to bring it in-house. And the question was, right, so we want to look for backdoors and stuff like that, because we're now inheriting a legacy code base that's come from outside. Like they didn't apparently didn't care to that point. So I was like super focused on looking for back doors and I'm going, right, well, there's this thing over here where like the server side secret that's used to sign your um uh, your session cookies um hasn't changed since the, the first founding of the project. And um anyone with a little bit of knowledge there can like go ahead and forge the cookie with that the knowledge of that secret where they can log on as admin anytime they fancy. And uh, yeah. you know you're having that you're having that conversation with them, and they're just like, uh, "And what do we do about that?" And I was like, um, "Email your millions of users and say that they have to log in again, because <laughs> because <laughs> all the session tokens that are um, uh, are cached on on all the mobile devices will need you know the only way to fix this is to change the server side secret so that yeah. the server will reject cookies that were forged before." And they were just, you know, I'm sitting there going, I, I, it's an interesting one where you're writing a, a description, a, a recommendation with an email template to send out to millions of people going, um, yeah, you you probably should, but it's your business choice if if you're gonna. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know if they, if they ever acted on it because sometimes it's a little bit like you help people out, you write the report, you have the discussion with the triage at the end of it and then you never find out unless they happen to come back round in the cycle you got to move on to the next next project is there an element of anti-climax that can be felt in that kind of scenario like where you've kind of you've put all the legwork in like you've discovered you know the, the vulnerability showing how dangerous it is and then just for it to just kind of drift away without any real resolution like i think that would i think that would yeah annoy me a little bit i suppose like, or not annoy me but frustrate me You've got my webcam on. No one else. This is not for the benefit of anyone else. Look at my face. <laughs> <laughs> my face. It's the it's the the thousand yard stare of a sniper. 
there. He's um, looking straight past me. Like, I just, yeah, I just, then I just, about. <laughs> I, I, my, my, li- my life here is about pouring the love into the technical findings, pouring the love into the report to try and make it as easy as possible for the customer to react. And if it comes around 12 months later, it hurts every time uh, yeah. that, that you open the report and they're like, I'll just go and see if last year's findings have been fixed. And you're just like, uh, <sighs> I mean, hmm. you think you fixed the highs and you probably spent longer debating whether you should fix the lows than it would have taken to turn the config on. Because they'll, yep. they'll, they'll have held a triage meeting and gone, is it worthwhile opening a ticket for this uh, HTTP header thing, which is probably very hard to to exploit anyway. Most of them are fairly hard to exploit. Um, and, you know, as, as a company, we've taken the editorial line that most TLS-level volumes are low-risk, despite Nessa spitting them out as medium and the CVSS risk, because we're going, prove it. Like, you know, it's something that we have to say for, for, for compliance reasons. If, it, if it's a PCI requirement that we're testing for, we have to obviously raise that with the right level and tell you that you have to fix that or you're non-compliant. But beyond that, you're basically saying, okay, there's this, there's this like, um, cipher suite down here. We can't prove that we can downgrade it today and make the user use it anyway. So what is the chance of someone exploiting it? Pretty much zero. Um, and even if they wanted to, it would require a privileged position on the network between the, 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 the victim and the server and probably a decent brute force rig. It's it's possible. It's theoretical. Um, yep. uh, and in all universes, all things play out. But on this universe, on this occasion, on this day, sir, I believe that TLS volume is a low risk because it's not... <laughs> gonna get exploited so but like the but the other fl- the flip side of that is it is still theoretically possible and the fix is five minutes of someone's time inside a config file and a restart of a service and you've probably spent more money like wasting the time of your yeah. pen tester repeating it year after year because we still have to report 100%. on it right yeah. and we, we cost a, a significant amount of money per day most pen test companies so you don't want to waste our time looking at the low-hanging fruit, and also it's more effective for you if you just fix it because then it's gone forever. But there are cases where you can't fix those issues, so you have to be aware of that as a pen tester too. You have to be aware of the fact that maybe they're supporting legacy clients somewhere in the background, um, and you know they, they literally can't turn it for the gold standard TLS because it'll break something. And that's, oh, yeah. that's, the, that's the other thing to think about, the receiving audience has pressures <laughs> but it does still break your heart when you know that, that yeah. those pressures are probably not really the case and they just haven't turned that damn cipher off <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's the same got in the way. it's the same with uh, like other findings so not just SSL and TLS but things like password policies time and time again I've tested banks and I've recommended that they set a password policy of this this and this but then you find out it's a mainframe on the back end and it doesn't respect whatever password policy you hit so mm quite quite uh, obvious because the mainframe in, can only store like an eight character long password ultimately or something something eight, eight to character, that, isn't it? eight character lowercase so you set like a superly super secure password and in actual fact if you go and type it in so like a prime example is on a lot of banks you have uh, you don't have necessarily two-factor authentication you've got known information so you've got your username you've got your password and then you've got like a memorable memorable phrase often the memorable phrase only stores the alpha character so it doesn't store, store the numeric so if you've got a password that's like P4, blah, blah, blah. Your, your actual password is only going to be like four letters long and therefore it's only going to be four characters long. And it's something Jeez. a lot of people don't know. 
and I came across is this. Is that really common? Like quite a lot of banks yes but they have the reason for this is because they have additional protection measures in place so you're not just protected by your password they've got full departments for fraud and looking for anomalies in your account and all that fun stuff but generally speaking when you set a password that's maybe like as an example password one or darud sandstorm oh really long really long (laughs) password but in actual fact it's only going to be the root that's the the first word it's only going to be stored so, a bit of a tangent there, but an interesting no, snippet no, of information. Well, like, yeah. They can remove that vulnerability in the pen test report by making the password policy look secure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> it's, it's funny, like, so obviously, again, uh, we said at the beginning, probably not to speak too much about the fact we're on webcam. So, for the change, we're on webcam uh, for this chat, uh, which we don't normally do. Normally, it's an entirely audio platform. But see, just seeing Andy's face talking about that moment there, like, just kind of like, mm, yeah. <laughs> oh, too good. Yeah, no, that, that, that's, I, I can, like you say, quick five minute of work, potential risk. Even as small as it might have been gone and then yeah seeing it year after year i'm sure that must be quite frustrating but uh to generally have um right, bambi you'll get there <laughs> bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. little by little still bambi uh you said uh, one just going back to something you said at the beginning uh i think you had some involvement and in me kind of ending up with a job between both of you um so you have uh, started a career at some point, right? Because that was only about a year and a half ago. So. There's been a, there's been a few, but there, there are different approaches to um to to helping people get a job. Andy's was to force you to work like a slave on a podcast, and, <laughs> and, and true, it's true. And, and mine was to recommend you spoke to Gary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Still. Which, if neither you know, of those things happened, David doesn't get no job. Like yeah, so, it's, yeah. it's, no, you know, it's 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 fine. I mean, like you know, I've, we we you know technically you can give a shout out to Glasgow Defcon um, for that one because I wouldn't have met Carrie if Carrie hadn't been a legend and turned up, and we wouldn't mm-hmm. have met Carrie if Andy didn't know him. I don't think so. Yeah, full circle. It's all Andy's fault. That is. Oh, oh, my fault. <laughs> my fault. We're all here today, and it's Paul's fault. No, actually, it's Paul's fault we're here today because if Paul hadn't actually, if Paul hadn't indoctrinated me into the industry by meeting me in a brewdog pub and getting me shit faced, <laughs> then I wouldn't have had a job, and therefore yeah. I wouldn't have met you. Well, I already knew you, but I wouldn't have got you into in, interest industry. I wouldn't have written a book, and then we wouldn't have a podcast. So, Paul, you are actually the founding. You're Paul. the founding father of the podcast, whether you, you like know. it or not. You're welcome. <laughs> and two careers. Multiple careers, not just two. I, th- I think mm-hmm. I- I've been helping people um, uh, sort of uh, get their footing in the industry for so long that I just found out from Andy the other week because we had a phone call and then uh, bumped into each other in the street in a socially distanced fashion because um, we don't live that far apart. Um, and we bumped into each other's street. I've been here in the industry long enough that one of my babies tried to murder the other baby recently. Um, because Andy's line manager is previous one of my kids <laughs> and sent <laughs> him a hamper full of nuts <laughs> for yeah. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Um, uh, so I'm just like, yep. <laughs> shout, yeah. shout, out, shout out to, to Nino. He is, he is a class individual. I've got so much time for Nino. I got a message from him the other day actually because uh, I, I chatted to him quite a lot. 
we've had two so usually we have a christmas party every year the company i work for and it's one night but because we're all virtual they split it over two so both nights nino and i've been drinking till four five six in the morning and both times he's been like you've you've successfully for the first time in a couple of years broken me two weekends in a row and i'm like good job where like last weekend we were up drinking till four in the morning playing flight simulator while one of our other colleagues uh, did a like a walkthrough of what what all the landmarks were in London because he used to work in London so he was like we're just gonna fly down the Thames in like a glider and point to things and flight simulator is incredibly interesting it's a good game but the I, I don't know what they've, the developers have done but the frame rate is awful. Like, <laughs> it's pretty hard going to be fair there's a lot going on in that game but I think it's lever- leveraging like Azure in the background to do all the 3D no, mapping and stuff like, it uses Bing it, Bing is what the, the maps yeah, are maps. Like, but it's awful I, I, like, if, if you yeah, compare Bing maps yeah. to Google maps Bing maps is about fucking 7 years behind like, they're pointing out stuff I mean, going on oh, yeah, massive that's... technical achievement like, massive technical achievement mm. how good looking that game is and how it's using the cloud and stuff to kind of render like, oh absolutely uh, we, we crashed into my house just to kind of test the crashing oh, works done that, but... what my house everyone's <laughs> yeah yeah first thing I did I got in that game and I'm like immediately in a 747 just like <laughs> where I mean, does Andy you... live and you're, and you're and you're not sitting there just awkwardly feeling like um, you know, I, like the media likes to portray uh, video game players as violent, <laughs> psychopathic, no, no, sociopathic no. people that are going to go, um, you know, do bad things when it's it's never really the game's <laughs> fault. Um, uh, you know, at least if anything, you've done it in fantasy instead of reality, um, which exactly. you might have done. <laughs> I was just going to say hello to my friend, like by dropping a seven four seven on his house from about seven hundred and fifty feet. But uh, seven fifty feet in a seven four seven—that's like not like the, like the old school debacle of of like trying to blame video games on on violence um, would, would be like people that then went to America. It's not a serious topic. They'd go to shoot up schools or whatever, and then they'd find mm. out that they'd been playing Doom, and even worse, that they'd been making maps of their school. I was like, I, I made a map of my school, but I didn't go shoot it up. So, um, you know why I made a map of my school? Because it was a big structure that I had intimate familiarity with from days to day. Uh, um, and, and, like, you know, you could design it because you had that map in your head. Um, and I didn't really want to go around shooting demons in it or anything. Like, I just made the school. And I'm like, okay, so maybe I have psychopathic tendencies or something, Like, but I haven't gone shot up a school. The problem might be availability of weapons. Um... <laughs> Here's a question. Here's a question. Like, so if that's the case with games, like, is films like Hackers responsible? For people oh, you mean flip it, flipping on its head? No, because ha- Hackers is so distant from reality of actual hacking that realistically... Probably not. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it is for. Maybe it's inspired folks to get into. It must have done. It must it, have. We've it, had a couple. A freaky clown talked about. It, I think a wee bit. Like he quite liked that film. Yeah. What about yourself? Just, What's your view uh, of hacker films, Paul? I think you know. So the I start. I started my career in two thousand and five at uh, the now defunct Secure Test, and their office had hacker film posters all the way around it. Actually. <laughs> yeah. Genuinely. Um. And I think they had like Enemy of the State. Um, and a couple of others. So they had, they had hacker posters all around the room, and the one that was on the wall next to me was for hackers, um, and I hadn't seen it um, at the time, and eventually I went and uh, got myself a DVD to watch it, but I just remember noticing that the movie poster of that 
has Angelina Jolie on it, and it, it's got text sort of written all over it, and they've written S-E-X across her nose, like in the jumble of ciphertext. They've just wrote sex on Angelina Jolie's nose. Oh, like Like nobody would notice. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I just think, okay, fine. But then I, w- I watched the movie. It's not for me. It's silly knockabout fun, and some people like yeah, the course. aesthetic, and that's fine. Um, uh, and then other than that, I would say uh, the, the the greatest sort of hacking of all time, I'm going to shout out to the TV series 24 that nobody talks about anymore. High drama, high concept. It went completely <laughs> it went completely off the deep end after a couple of seasons and nobody watched oh, it but sure. me. But like they had, they had one episode <laughs> where there was like a remote, I think hacker had um, compromised all the nuclear power plants in America because like you do, ICS threat, mm-hmm. brilliant, go for it. Um, and then the the legend that is Edgar, um, the the computer engineer, has to patch the kernel while it's running. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sa- save the day. And I think he, man- he manages to do this because obviously he's a legend. But like hacking and film because twenty four or like the other bit where like they've they've got like a an office and there's like a a, a gas of some sort released into the air event that's gonna murder everyone, but they're in an office room that's like got like a seal around it, and someone at some point had decided to not just put a sensor there to detect how strong the window seal was. They've designed a whole little GUI in the event that there was a thing released, so that you could watch <laughs> what percentage the rubber was was was, uh, was deforming actually, at. I don't even remember that. That's amazing. <laughs> so I'm just like that's it. that's the kind of hacking that I want to see, where someone has overthought it, like Batman overthinks it, having bat repellent, yeah. uh, sorry, shark repellent, and all kinds of mad stuff, <laughs> despite him living in a metropolitan area. Like that's that's the kind of hacking I like over overthinking it. Um, uh, so yeah, I think those would be an influence because they're brilliant, you know. I suppose. Yeah. I suppose talking like crazy hacks, like what's been the most kind of interesting moment or craziest moment you've had in your career thus far? Well, I I always go back to the one anecdote that is that is long that is long enough ago in the tooth that I don't think it affects anyone anymore. Um, and and it would be um, I was I was asked to test uh, a a banking application. And the banking application was uh, to allow foreign exchange uh, transactions to occur. And so to get an account at a bank that does this, it's a couple of million pounds easy street before they'll let you open an account to do this. And there was a certain amount of um, the the customer had assumed that because this was like an off-the-shelf product that they were installing in their network, that it had been pen-tested a lot. Um, so they weren't, they weren't too fussed about it. They weren't buying that much project time. So I had to fly to a tax haven to go and test this, and they they'd only they'd only agreed to have like three days testing or 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 two days testing or something. It was a really short scope. That's that's small, yeah. um, small potato in terms of a project, especially for the for the potential. If if the minimum account value is a couple of million pounds, um, what are you playing at? Where's your risk register for deciding how to allocate this budget? Uh, but anyway, yeah. I went there to test this. To, so I fly out to a tax haven to go and test it uh, to be told that I could have used the local branch around the corner from my house with like a... <laughs> <laughs> Which is absolutely fantastic planning. So the customer had paid only for like a couple of days worth of testing and they didn't want a full report. This is the only time a customer has ever gone, we don't want a report. 
because there was a guy was so confident that they've bought this and it, nothing was going to be found. So I'm just like sitting there going, I got two days, I've got a flight at some place. The chances of me finding something are sound slim because they're really confident. But like, we'll go have a look and we'll see what's happening. And I found out instantly that when you start testing it, this thing logs you out. Like if you start putting like a like an angle bracket or whatever in the, in the input fields, it goes no. No way, you can't you can't access us. Um, so it would log you out, which made the app prickly. It didn't just like give you an error; it logged you out, and you had to go back through the slow login process. And I was just like, okay, this you know. So the minimum I got to do here is I got to set burp up with a macro to log me back in when it detects I'm out, because there's every chance that other people that have tested this haven't actually got the scanner to work. Um, so I set that up. Um, and it just starts hammering the page, and it's just like volume, 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 rattling out of it, out of the scanner. And I was like, uh, okay, so no one's really tested this. So those those yeah. things are all by the by. They're going into a spreadsheet, like whatever. There's an SQL injection, blah. Like this is this is it. That's that's impactful as it is, but like you know, that's not the fun. That's not the fun vulnerability that that, that keeps me up at night. It's the one that this application was really, really slow, right? It was just super slow. And I worked out it's because it wasn't caching the file in your local browser. This is this is many years ago, so like caching isn't wasn't such a big deal back then. But it was downing like a downloading like a fifteen megabyte or twenty megabyte JavaScript file every time you loaded the logon page. And then when you logged on, it would download it again because <laughs> the main portal page would have it. So it wasn't caching this file at all. And I'm going 15 megabytes, 20 megabytes of JavaScript to this day and age when, when like jQuery was, was nascent. Like it didn't have any of that stuff. I'm going, why is this file so big? So I downloaded a copy of it, started looking like a source code review of, of the JavaScript file, find this function in it that was essentially called XXCMD. And I'm like, I'm going to have a look at this. What's, <laughs> what's XXCMD about? Um, and it's a really short function that even my tiny monkey brain can understand what this function is doing. It's looking for a form in the page. It's looking for a text field in that form. And then it is sort of doing a little bit of JavaScript magic validation or whatever. And then it's sending it off to an endpoint on the site, um, like a either a post endpoint or a get endpoint. I can't remember. And I'm going, all right, well... How, how do I get there? So I, I'm logged on as a low-privileged user, and the issue here is that this functionality isn't available in the UI anywhere for me to look at, so I can't find this in the application at all. So then I figure out, oh, it's one massive JavaScript file for all level of user, so I shouldn't be seeing this. <laughs> so it's going to fail, right, when yeah. I when I call XXEMD. So the way that I made this work is I, I trapped the response from Burp coming back from the server, added the form in so that it had the right ID and it had the right text field um, so that it was now in my page. There's other ways to do this. I could have just worked out the endpoint and called it, but I went, hey, it's a nicer screenshot to just add the admin functionality in. <laughs> so I had to add the form in, nice little screenshot that went into a report of nothing because they just wanted a spreadsheet um, <laughs> to, to show this little form. <laughs> You hit, you hit the button and you submit that form, off it goes to the endpoint, and then you're looking at the burp response again and it is returning things. So you just go you just, you just type blah, hit enter, and it goes back comes back in the response saying 
Blah is not a command we recognize, and you're like, no. <laughs> like, no. What is this? Get it in repeater so you can, for, for the folks playing at home, burp repeaters where you can repeat a request and make small modifications. So you get it in the burp repeater, you, you type, okay, if, if blah wasn't a command, ls, not a command, help. Oh, beautiful. It's listing a bunch of commands back to yep. you. And you just look at that and you go, wow, what's that? Um, and uh, and the help page is essentially listing this txn command and I'm like mm, help txn and it says transaction and you're like really oh no way <laughs> are you <laughs> are you are you serious um, and so you go all right okay help txn what's the format of this command it's like txn space the account number that you're sending it from space the account number that you're sending it to space the currency that you're putting it in because this is for foreign exchange <laughs> transactions space yep. the value that you're that you're that you're sending and you're like no <laughs> so you so you, you type that in and like like I, they'd set me up in a, in a in an account the way that this was set up they'd sort of said this is our staging environment but after your pen test this is going to become the live environment it's a direct one for one clone, clone yeah. Yeah. of of the whatever and so they'd given me a couple of accounts that had like you know fake money in there to transact around um yep. so i was able you know i was able to send money around so i just run run this txn command with like twenty thousand dollars or something send it from one account to the to my other account from this method quickly load up the actual ui and, and prove that that transactions fired yep. across and i was like that's that's amazing. Like, you know, so how's that work? Call, call the customer over and he was just like, nah, there's no, there's no way. There's, there's, there's no way. And I'm just like, I mean, oh, yeah. it, this, this, this account is, is, is $20,000 down. This account's $20,000 yep. up. And he's just like going white because he's going, we should have put more time for this because yeah. this, is, this, is, this, is, this is crazy. And I'm like, yep. Yeah. But like, you know, I'll try my best to document it in a spreadsheet. But... Um, <laughs> Because you know, I, I they they didn't want to report, so like it was really hard to explain it, and it got to the point where the vendor was like fighting it tooth and nail. Uh, but okay, so the guy, the guy, I was sitting there going, it has sent twenty thousand dollars, and he was he was going white because he's going, okay, the the fraud engine in the bank is supposed to detect when a when a um, when a transaction's over a certain amount and give it some extra scrutiny, and so he's just going white as a sheet because like you just bypassed the fraud the detection, way that, yeah, the fraud detection, fraud and I'm like. I'm like, oh, okay, um, cool. Um, and he's like, also, because the transaction's over that amount of money, it needs a second teller to approve the transaction. I'm like, uh, it, it, it didn't. <laughs> so it's bypassed the, the, um, uh, the, the secondary verification of like another person uh, because that's why in banking you want to have two people verifying transactions so that they have to at least collude <laughs> to, yeah. Yeah. to be able to steal money. Right over a certain amount, and the fraud engines there to detect like things like this because like you know why why is this dude suddenly paying another dude rather than like you know whatever's going on there that he was sitting there white as a sheet, and I'm I'm like okay I can I can keep doing it so I do it again for him send another twenty twenty grand over, and he's like oh he's like oh no that's like a thing, um and it eventually like he keeps bringing over more and more people to the table for me to demo this for them <laughs> like 
and, and it's like you're not loving this at this stage though because like, this is such a like I, nuclear I am, like I am a showman so of course I was yeah. loving it um, so I mean there's a certain <laughs> amount of this isn't funny because this is some this is like serious amounts of money but then okay oh, course, so I'm sitting there enumerating it going right okay what's the worst that can happen here because this is like for millionaires to be doing foreign exchanges like they, you know they're, they're going to be handling handling massive amounts of money and I look into it and the TXN help page explains that the maximum number is in like the billions like the the full row of nines so you're like just short of like a trillion um is, is the number that this can like handle <laughs> like at least as a command and i'm and i'm just sitting there going well okay um uh, and the guy the, the guy's like there's no way it'll there's no way it'll it'll actually send that amount will it and i'm like well it's not a live account so like you know everyone gathers around with their coffee and watches me just up the number and it, it sends it, and not does it only send it, it it sends it by just putting the account that you sent it from into a mas- massive negative balance, because obviously I wasn't given an account that had like a trillion in it. So it just invented an overdraft effectively to send the money. <laughs> and it, we're tracking it down, and it's it's because basically, as Andy was mentioning earlier, if it, if it made the cut that he was talking about mainframes and banking... Um, ultimately, what this was was it was a product that bolted onto a mainframe backing uh, banking application for doing transactions, and it was just absolute madness that this was this is what, yeah. what it was doing. And the ven- the vendor was just like brought on the phone, like because they were going, "There's no way we're buying this product." Like why? Because one Scotsman's flown out to a tax haven when he could have tested it <laughs> around the corner, and he's shown us that. that that like any one of our tellers could that is that's why it was it was to me it was my favorite hack because it was a no tool hack yeah i used burp but you could have used the browser dev tools to 100% yeah. Yeah, yeah. find exploit and you know it impactful um uh, vulnerability so it it is that's why it's the one that I tend to rattle out because it's big the vendor fought it tooth and nail saying there's no way that's possible in live it, you know, one of those, it's gone out there. They had long enough to fix it. It's it's like twelve years ago or something stupid. So certainly that bank, my customer, did not deploy it <laughs> um, <laughs> as as a result of it. But yeah, it, that would be the, yeah, the most true. impactful one because you could like you could like you could found a country. <laughs> you could solve um, your island. Yeah. You know, you could do something. Yeah, that's some real damage. Like uh, Jesus Christ. I think that's probably the, the, the most uh, simple yet destructive hack I think we've talked about probably on Cast, right since its inception. Like, that's incredible. Um, I'm conscious of time as we are kind of uh, around about the hour mark, but uh, how much more time have you got with us, uh, Paul, and we can either extract questions and that sort of stuff. Let's rush through it because we've, we've done enough babbling. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, focus. Right, so we can people. Shall we move on to the questions that are kind of towards the end then after the kind of Red Bull, a Red Bull. Excellent hacks. Chug, chug, chug. What's the best and worst thing that you've learned this year, twenty twenty? <laughs> are you sure? Because <laughs> once again, you sent the questions earlier. It says twenty nineteen. Because <laughs> um, so the 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 worst thing I learned in twenty nineteen was that um, uh, koalas are functionally extinct. That's dreadful. Oh no! Right, that's pretty terrible. Right. Yep. Just sorry to lay yeah. that on you. That, <laughs> that I'm and I'm the one. I'm the one that told you that. That's 
after that fire in Australia that I think is probably still going because they stopped talking about it when the coronavirus happened. They said that it destroyed enough of the koala population that uh, functionally extinct. I'm like, wow. That's up there with probably... I think that might just be the worst thing I've learned as well. Uh, <laughs> an already terrible fucking year, for the record. <laughs> well, no, 2019, 2019 was a good year, just to clarify. <laughs> uh, 2020. <laughs> Yeah, 2020. Yeah, and the best, uh, best thing you've learned this year? I don't know. I've I've learned to love myself. Yes, <laughs> like you should all <laughs> all embrace your own self and uh, yeah, and, yeah. and accept your your weaknesses and and do the best you can with your time here. Um, so yeah, a revelation. Uh, that or stay hydrated. Hydrated is amazing. Like <laughs> mm, that does make a big difference. To be fair, do both yeah. of those things, and you're in for a pretty good existence. Yeah, I would argue. Um, what other questions we got here? Uh, got a lot of questions about tools on this list, Andy. Like, no, no, no. Skip, skip past those. Like, go to go the to the ones under the under the dotted lines. So the last kind of eight questions or whatever. So, what would you? If you if you could go back and tell your former self something key, what would you tell yourself? Really, um, well, you don't you don't need to. <laughs> there, there there's a there, there's a point in my life where I was really really depressed and uh, living alone, probably drinking a bit too much and um, uh, you know, basically living for the job and not doing anything outside of it, um, which is a kind of a thing that the industry. Uh, puts you puts puts you into it wants you to do these things really because you can't keep on top of things if you're not able to um uh, like put the hours in and no, you know grind. so so it's it's grind but there is a point and I I think I always tell uh, people starting I'm going this is going to be the a rough couple of years you should you should probably be chucking in about two years of your life twenty four seven to get to a bit where you start thinking I'm all right at this um yeah. or you can take a bit longer and do it slower. Um. Uh, but there was a there was a point there where I was like literally doing nothing but the job, uh, living in England. Obviously, I was quite sad. I would go back in time to to that point, and I'd tell me it all works out. Um, it's all fine. Um, yeah. like you know, you're gonna survive this, and you're gonna get you're gonna get to a point in the future where, where everything's fine. You know. Um. Mm -hmm. So there you go. I would do that. No, that's awesome. That's a good, great, absolutely great answer. Yeah, 100% because I think and it will take it from someone that's still in the, the thick of it the beginning you know where like we we're talking about before the podcast with every new thing that I learn I learn about 500 new things that I then probably need to learn on top of that like it, it never ends as fascinating and awesome as it is but um, at a certain point I'm sure there's at least a plateau where you've got the basics down you know what you're talking about a bit more and I'd imagine life does probably at least get a bit easier I'm going to lean right in for the ASMR and say, oh, here we are. we're all winging it. Like, literally, <laughs> everyone is an actual imposter. Absolutely. Nobody knows what they're doing. Um, uh, it's, it's, I mean, Google went down today. Not a single volume was found. Um, <laughs> this is true. This genuinely. Is true. Because all we are is diagnostic machines. There's only so much you can keep in your head, and you need yeah. to you need to be able to look up resources. So all you have to do is, the the plateau is having the confidence in your ability to learn the stuff that you need to do to do the compromise before the project time runs out. Yeah. <laughs> Effectively, yeah, you get you do get to a baseline of, of skills where, where you're able to do that. Um, uh, and 
yeah, so what do I do? I Some, so, sometimes, sometimes you get an app and you're like, I don't know what Angular is. This has happened in my career. I've never heard of this. What's Angular? The first time I encountered that, went through a tutorial, built an app in Angular, and by the end of the week, you're you're testing that and smashing it. Um, yep. uh, it takes a lot of practice to get to that point. I made that sound easy, um, and <laughs> I appreciate that that takes quite a while <laughs> to be able to just pick up a new no, no, of programming language and do it. So that, that's, mm. my, that's my superpower if I have one, is just uh, um, going through a couple of tutorials before I start the start the test. Yeah, and I'm sure it didn't start that way and it took a lot of time and effort. So that's always worth keeping in mind for people like myself as well that are maybe sometimes guilty of trying to rush things when really you should just be well, it's, yeah, every it, day at a time and you'll get where you want to go. It's one of the things that's really important mentioning and probably worth understanding. Those that do tutorials on YouTube and things have had hundreds of thousands of hours of trial and error, smashing their face into desk, smashing out debugging, (laughs) typos, all sorts of things. And people that pick it up first time, it looks so easy, but in actual fact, you don't see all the the legwork in the background. You see the finished product at the end of the day. I'm very happy to show you me failing a thousand times. (laughs) Because I still do. Everybody does. It's part of part of learning you need to fail to learn process. better yeah. it's one of the things i've learned from karate if you get punched in the face enough times you learn to put your hands up and block <laughs> it's the same with don't, don't, advocate, don't advocate don't advocate for going punching people in the face randomly but it's true it's the same with i mean if we're going a little bit topical for a second FireEye, for example got breached recently as part of a supply chain attack but one of the things that they learn from this is they deal with instant response day in, day out, and they deal with tracking threat actors day in, day out. So they've learned to hone their craft. And as a result, there's a massive article, full depth report of how it all works. And they're fully transparent about things because they know what they're doing and they've honed their craft. So yeah. hats off hats off to FireEye for doing such a great job. I've seen a little bit of extra transparency this week as well. Um, uh, pen, pen test uh, obviously got to pimp the brand occasionally. Uh, did did a bit of work for uh, Scott Helm, uh, yep. report URI. Um, obviously, I think uh, it, it was amazing to see someone who was technically a customer just go, right, I'm sticking this out there, so you can you can see one of our reports, because mm-hmm. obviously he must have asked, can we distribute this? So he put it out there and wrote down a, a rather long uh, blog post about it and what he learned from from the process. And I was going, that was really well written and. Um, uh, you know the the vulnerabilities. Looking for vulnerabilities in a security vendor's website is not an easy ask. So um, it's, that's why it's that's why it's jumped jumped to my mind there effectively because the the FireEye being um, transparent about it too. Um, it's excellent to see transparency like that in the industry. Um, otherwise, mm-hmm. how can people really learn from it? And you should never sweep anything under the carpet. Really, um, if if you're in the middle of a data breach, call me. Uh, no, no, I don't. I don't. I don't do incident response. But what you don't do is 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 um, minimize what's happened, and you keep people informed. That is someone's full time job. Yeah. Um, so hats off to to FireEye there and 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 Scott Helm for report URI. And that's not even a breach. He's just got it pen tested and then no, gone then gone yeah. full disclosure about it, which is which is great. Yeah. No, the first fantastic. Um, Another question for you, what, just quickly, what's been your uh, greatest achievement of your career so far? Skipping none of these questions, um, but what's the greatest <laughs> achievement of my, of my career so far? Andy Gill. Yeah. Look at him. Oh, oh <laughs> Look that's him. adorable. Look at 
look at Andy. Look, at, we are, we're, we're looking at him right now. Like, ah, he's got a wee cheeser on his face, a, wee sw- <laughs> a huge smile. Like, but, no, it's, that's, it's that's a real nice it's answer. His, it's his achievements. Um, yeah, well, that's both uh, your achievements in some way. Effect- effectively, you try and help people out, and then when you see them blossom and go on, and even even better, my baby's having babies. He's writing books to teach people yeah. how to have babies. <laughs> 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 No, it's, it, it wasn't. It wasn't wasted telling them most of the stuff that's in the book. Indeed, indeed. No, you taught it's me been, a lot. It's, it's been written down. It has been, and it's been read by thousands. No, it's true. Pay it yep. forward, and it'll pay for it. It'll pay pay it forward even more. It'll pay for itself. You, you give a that's little it. love, and it all comes back to you. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Right, we've only got a few few minutes left, so. In terms of future planning, Paul, where do you see yourself in 10 years, or even 5 years? 10 years is a long period of time, and given 2020 has been a decade on its own, where do you see yourself? Um, I don't know, this feels like a job interview question. <laughs> so I'll answer it with the stock where job interview. Where do you see interview. yourself, Paul? <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll answer it in the stock job interview question style. I see myself working in your organisation, delivering value to you and your customers. <laughs> I'm surprised no one's answered that with that already, to be honest, because every time we bring up that question, it, it does feel very much like an interview. Uh, well, I, I'll, but in 10 years' time, I might... For Widgetcast? In, in 10 years' time, I might not have my 2020 vision, because um, uh, I'll <laughs> finally have lost it from staring at a computer, computer screen for... Especially that CRT green one, I don't know how. I keep going keep going into the opticians, and then they're like, mate, you can still fly a fighter jet, and I'm like, shut <laughs> <laughs> no. Have you got any I, plans to fly, fly a fighter jet? I mean, only into Andy's house. Um, I hear that's a done thing. That's <laughs> that's that's very true. That's called a callback. Um, that is a callback, yeah. indeed. Hopefully, so, Dave uh, doesn't cut that bit out, and it'll be just totally, totally awkward. Like, oh, into Andy's house. Paul's a terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> Without context, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to cut that, and we'll put that out before we put the show uh, live. Um, you got to ask the teleportation question. Come on. Oh yeah, that, that's it's coming. That's coming, Paul. Are you, are you looking forward to that one? Like, <laughs> I've got an answer. <laughs> He's got an answer, right? Okay, I've got this one, Andy. If you could teleport anywhere. Would cities become a thing of the past? Absolutely not. Cities would still exist. <laughs> Mic drop. No, um, but I have more than enough. That's of, all, I, folks. I have more than enough experience. This I'm a I'm a Star Trek fan. I watch a lot of sci-fi, read a lot of sci-fi, and I've dreamt mm-hmm. about teleporters. Right. So um, uh, I would absolutely live wherever I want to live, and I would beam into where I need to be. Right. That's great. I actually have traveling anxiety. So this is why nobody in this industry knows me. Hello, people that are hearing me for the first time. I never travel anywhere um, because I have anxiety (laughs) about it. I think a decade's worth of traveling the trains and seeing it all go to crap and traveling Mm. on planes and seeing it all go to crap just basically knocked out of me. I just don't want to, excuse me, (laughs) I just don't want to travel so much right now. So I don't do it. Um, So teleporting would absolutely free me. I would totally do it. Um, but the more que- interesting question is not about whether um, uh, cities would be a thing of the past, because cities would still exist. You'd still need to have a central hub, and they're not going to melt the cities that already exist. Um, we might not make any new ones, but you know, effectively, for me, the more interesting question is, how are we beaming about, right? Uh. <laughs> so, 
I don't, I don't mean the technical um, how do you beam it, because technically we have actually beamed something already. If you look into it, we've beamed um, uh, a, a little ray of light from, from one point to another point not very far away. So we've, we've beamed a photon. Um, but like it takes a tremendous amount of energy to, to do this, and we'd have to harness the sun to be able to move a person about and use more, more, more storage than exists on the Earth today to store all the bits of information for a person. But anyway, I'm not worried about the technical technological parts of that. I'm saying, for me, how would you beam about? Would it be like a transporter room in my house? Um, mm. Or would I have to walk to a bus stop to then beam from the end of my road to wherever I'm going? Like, what's the, what's the sort of store here? Because what if, it's, if it's in your house, yeah. I could rob you by just beaming into your house. Cause yeah, that's <laughs> a big problem right there. Right. Yeah, you've got to think about the security aspects of this. <laughs> <laughs> even on the hypotheticals, even on the hypotheticals, Paul is trying to save us. Like, what, what about... That speaks to you. What about a personal device? So, like, a smartwatch, but it's keyed to your DNA? So what? You you, you you boop your you, watch. You just you just go boop, and then you you're wherever the fuck you want to go. Right. Sure. Um that's fine. So that means that I can beam into your house if I want to be there. Yeah. Yep. So I'm, I'm I mean, this is effectively Star Trek Discovery's got this, uh, and it's current 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 show. And they've got a badge which basically yeah. it does. That's, does that's, that's how they've been beaming in Star Trek since the nineteen sixties, although for a little while they had a flick phone. Um <laughs> But so, so, so as as a, as a major Star Trek fan, this question is great. It's playing to my strengths, and I and I'd sort of say, okay, <laughs> they have transporter rooms, and yet they can beam an object from any from A to B without them being on a pad. Um, so, like the transporter room just seems like a plot device. Yeah, um, I guess it's, it's a safe place to bring in people that you might think have weapons or something, but you can straight up beam from any part of the planet to another part of the planet without. Um, any bother so you don't actually need those things to stand on they just they just no, look, right. they just look cool and it was probably easier to do the special effects when you were standing in front of that yeah <laughs> back in the day <laughs> let's be honest um this is that is like the most in-depth sci-fi answer we've had for that and i love for it <laughs> i'm a massive trekkie myself but, yeah you gotta you gotta um, you gotta just own it um, I mean, obviously, I'm speaking uh, speaking to uh, Dave here, who is indeed uh, a Riker lookalike that you can't actually see. Um, uh, I thought you, on... I, before the show, you told me that you were the Riker lookalike, Paul. How about we end the show on your wee story about how this is the case? So, so I am the Glasgow region uh, mm-hmm. uh, William T. Riker lookalike <laughs> contest winner. Um, because when... <laughs> When 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 JJ Abrams when Jajar Abrams um, decided to put <laughs> decided to um, uh, retell the original story anyway with different actors and made mm-hmm. in the in the process millions and millions of pounds by basically not telling a Star Trek story but just telling an excellent action film and putting lens flare because um, mm-hmm. that, that turns out that's what it was missing. Um, uh, when 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 JJ Abrams did that, then the Cat House Goth Rock Club in the middle of Glasgow, um, for some reason, went with the idea of having a Star Trek night. So I was like, "That's got to be baller. Let's go and see what this is like." And I turn up, and they were having like a, a lookalike contest. And I'm like, "Well, I, I've never worn a Star Trek uniform in my life before, but it seemed like an appropriate thing to do to get a costume." So I rock up and 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 then they're like, "Yep, this guy has a beard. He's too fat for the suit. He is one hundred percent." 
<laughs> William T. Riker. And I was just like, epic. <laughs> so that was it. Um, that was that was my that was my time. I won some cinema vouchers or something. Nice. I suppose the number one. The final question to close on then is: Is there anything you'd like to plug specifically? Uh, uh, uh I don't know. Um, I, I've got this new book out. Um, uh, I've got this album out. Um, I, I don't know what the the people genuinely have things to plug. Both actually, uh, but primarily yourself, Paul. Uh, check out Paul's blog. Um, I've been using it today. I've got an exam on Thursday where I need to learn about writing vulnerability reports. There's a bunch of kind of technical side to that using things like Microsoft Word. And he's, Paul's been kind enough to send me another couple of uh, blog posts to read as well. Check it out. It's a wealth of resources for starting out people like me and the exact same for Andy, who's also got a, a great blog about uh, writing reports. So, yeah, just pimping you both out there, uh, boys, but um, both great resources. Yeah, I mean, thanks very much. So that that would be www.cornerpirate.com <laughs> forward slash Word, W-O-R-D, hyphen, tips, T-I-P-S. Um, Thank you, Paul. It's, yeah, you got to know your own URLs, right? What's the point in having a slug URL if you can't remember it? Um, I suppose my, my, my blog, I'm trying to do more stuff with it um, uh, in, in the sense that when I'm doing, I said it earlier, I failed up into management. So there's a little bit of a run of a post where all I was talking about was managing a pen test team. Um, and at the moment, I'm doing quite a lot of pen testing again. So, but I'm picking up on technologies that I haven't necessarily tested before. Um, so, like this week, an Electron desktop app, technically not in scope, but was downloadable from the the Target site. You know, they've got like an Android app, an iOS app, and an Electron app. I was like, I'm gonna have a bash at that. So, I've got a, a blog post in the wings where I, I learned how to decompile that, like you would an Android app, um, and and then you can sort of play around with that, alter the app. Any client-side logic is obviously wrecked. Um, <laughs> so all you have to do is write a very simple blog post going, here's how you extract it, here's how you change it, add some debugging lines, and here's how you recompile it. And it all works beautifully. So I, I love me a bit of thick client testing. Um, so th- th- there's going to be a blog post on that relatively soon, just because that's how I, how I operate. If, if there's something that I'm finding in a test that is something I didn't necessarily know before, I'm just now straight up more committed than I ever was before to just writing a short five minute blog piece on, on the on the couple of tools I used for that and sticking it out. Why? Because I've got a rubbish memory. I don't remember when we started this podcast. Like so <laughs> I, I, I have to literally um write that stuff down. So it's not if other people find it useful, fantastic. It's for me. <laughs> like it's definitely Neil for Lines, me. <laughs> uh, Neil Neil Lyons says the exact same. Like his notes are his blog, and you say the same as well, Andy. Like I suppose yep. at the end of the day, you're just going to be teaching yourself it back at some point whenever the time comes. So that that's is, a good enough reason to do a blog, is any? Well, that's yeah, exactly one. why. That's exactly why I, how I tell people to take notes. I'm like, why would I take notes? Why would I write a blog? I'm going. The notes are for you. You are teaching someone, and it's most likely yep. that you are teaching yourself. <laughs> 
<laughs> in five years time what you're doing so i i yeah it, my, my, i'm not that serious a person so the blog's not that serious either and i'll just titter away yeah. at my own crap dad joke from five years ago as i as i learn how to do something um, but it, it is you know i'd say it's, it's it's the greatest thing i would recommend for any newbie in the industry to do start your start a blog those are your notes put them out there you never know who that's going to help and who's going to reach out to you on twitter or whatever um to, to ask about it and you'll make relationships friends all that kind of stuff or if none of that happens for you you've definitely saved yourself some time when it comes around to it um so definitely go for it yeah for sure yeah yes yeah, definitely good advice right there um well i think that's pretty much us thank you very much for joining us paul it's been great to have you on uh yeah. there's been some interesting stuff in there for sure and uh aye everybody this is the end of 2020 the year of hell uh not the star trek voyager episodes but like 2020 oh, as in this year nerd alert nerd alert uh but uh yeah merry christmas everybody do you want to sign us out andy yeah i just want to echo that thanks thanks paul so much for everything you've given me in my career and also thanks for coming on the podcast it's such a pleasure to have you on board and obviously it's been a very shorter podcast but i won't i won't keep it on any longer but yeah thanks for listening to ouija cast this has been episode 17 and we will see you well hopefully in 2021 we'll see what happens at, <laughs> on the 31st of the 12th we might be on the 32nd of the 13th who knows maybe 2020 next time well folks we've got a treat for you uh at the end of this episode uh paul is going to play us out yeah you can't end the christmas special without a, a massive christmas hit um, and this one, this one goes out to our boy uh, Paul Mason, founding father of um, uh, of Glasgow Defcon, with Andy and and Rab Ray back in the day, um, who sadly has been lost to us this year. Um, he he gave me this guitar because he's a legend. Um, so here we go. Christmas. <laughs>